Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and loving Father, I give thanks for this day and for the opportunity once again to seriously consider your word. For when we consider your word, uh, and your Holy Spirit is breathing on and around us, we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are and who we are in you. And so I just pray that you, uh, you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart, make them wholly yours, that in this time and place and space together we might grow in grace and in the knowledge and love of Jesus. These things I ask and pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you ain't figured it out yet, we are in the season of Advent. In fact, we are about the third Sunday into Advent. And three Sundays ago, I began that first sermon in this series um, talking about how sometimes we misuse things. We misuse things. And if you'll recall, um, I gave you an example of that with a treadmill, right? Like you might have a treadmill in your home and and perhaps it doesn't look as classy or dust-free like the one on the left here. Perhaps you're using it as a clothes hanger or something of that nature. That would be what I mean by misuse. Now, last week, I gave you another example of a misuse. I mean, what are we supposed to use a garage for? For our car, yes, but sometimes now it becomes a storage facility. Um, or better yet, as uh, Tim Bingham suggested, a pool hall. Uh, which I really thought was a good idea, and I still support that at the Parsonage. <laughs> well, okay, so the next picture, full disclosure, I, I'm pretty sure is not often misused, but I do have to put it up because it was sent to me. <laughs> this is a picture of a toilet. For the French, that's toilet. Um I don't need to discuss what it's used for, but we all know how to properly use one, I think. But now Ann Carter sent me this great misuse. <laughs> this is the toilet gnome flower planter. I like it. It's classy yet understated. It waters itself. It waters itself. <laughs> Where was that at the first service? I, I don't know. This was bombing at first service, but oh, oh, man. Y'all, the season of Advent is often misused by Christians because we think it's the countdown to Christmas. Advent means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. See, we're not in the first Advent but the second. We're not awaiting the birth of a Messiah. We're awaiting the return of a king. 
the arrival of a notable person, Jesus, the Son of God, why, that already happened. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Speaking of which, it's the 300th anniversary of Joy to the World. Now, for the last two weeks, I've been telling you that Joy to the World is not actually a Christmas carol, right? It's not a Christmas carol. Mm -mm. Now, I know that's sacrilegious to some and why even others are thinking at this point about getting some pitchforks and some torches and crying heretic and taking me out to the stake. But just bear with me. Allow me once again to defend my point as to why this is not a Christmas carol. Okay? All right. There's no Mary, no Joseph, no manger, no donkey. You all say donkey. I've heard you northerners, you say donkey. I don't know what a donkey is, but a donkey is one of them things that go, hey, okay, so ain't no donkey, ain't no oxen, no sheep, no shepherds, no wise men, no star, no Bethlehem, and ain't no baby Jesus. Joy of the world, therefore, ain't no Christmas carol. What kind of carol have I said it is? It's a second coming carol. It's a second coming carol. By the way, this has been great, a great argument in my house, which has not stopped yet. <laughs> Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And everything else in the text celebrates what is being accomplished and what will be accomplished at the return of Jesus Christ the King. Now remember that the carol Joy to the World is based on Psalm 98. And the application is universal essentially for each week. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he's done marvelous things. The new song God gives us is that of salvation, which is constantly growing us to be more like Jesus and always offering us a new song to sing about God's grace in our lives. Wasn't, wasn't Jim's song about God's grace in his life awesome this morning? Isaac Watts, who's the author of Joy to the World, he, now he does something tricky here in verse 3 today, and I don't know if you noticed it, but he abruptly departed from Psalm 98. And that's another reason I say Joy to the World is not a Christmas hymn. Check it out. If you didn't notice, here it goes. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The curse, far as the curse is found. With this verse, Joy to the World recounts the curse of Genesis, which we heard in today's scripture lesson. And it's what we're going to consider today. We're going to be considering the word curse and this curse that takes place in Genesis. So once again, hear the last part of that lesson. Cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Ooh, how I would not have wanted to be Adam and Eve and heard that from the lips of God. Mm-mm. Mm. Well, let's take a minute and talk about this word curse. The Hebrew word curse means to invoke harm. 
Well, how can God invoke harm? What kind of God invokes harm? I thought he was Jesus. I thought he was lovey-dovey, cuddly, squishy, loved me God. Well, I suppose God can be both, can he? People often speak curses against each other. Every now and then, I curse you. But that doesn't carry any weight at all. No, it only carries weight if a deity actually carries it out. In other words, only God can actually curse. And he does invoke harm here, but he does it as a matter of judgment. And it's also a matter of grace. Because if God had allowed Adam and Eve to continue eating from the tree of life once they had the knowledge of evil, then they would have spent the rest of their lives in eternity fallen. Now, Adam's name means ground. Isn't that a cool name? Hi, I'm ground. Nice to meet you. It's my friend Dirt. My brother Dust. That's a cool name. Adam's name means ground. And uh, God has now cursed the ground. Think about the severity of this. God created ground, which is in the Hebrew, bear with me, I've got to show my education here for a moment. In the Hebrew is yadama. God created that ground and said it was good. And then God created man, yadam, from the yadama, and said he was good. God created from the ground up a groundskeeper to care for the ground. The work of caring for creation, caring for the ground, that was intended to be a source of joy and life for Adam and Eve. But God, being a just God, had to punish Adam and Eve. And so in a stunning reversal, God now curses that which he decreed good so that it's going to be abundantly difficult for people to manage and grow food from the ground from whence they were made. Verse 19 literally reads, By the sweat of your face, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Bread. Yeah, the NIV translates the word food here as, as food in the NIV, but here it's bread. And in the Hebrew, it's the word lehem. Lehem. Now, that probably don't mean nothing to you unless you put a bet in front of that. Then you have bet lehem. Ever heard of Bethlehem? Yeah, yeah. Lehem means bread. And it's the season we think of Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Jesus was born in a house of bread. That's cool. My name's Ground. I was born in a house of bread. That'd be cool too, but now you're there. Now I'm going with this whole biscuit and gravy stick in my head. I'm going to stop. There some bacon in there. Yeah. I'm not attempting to allegorize the word other than I think we'd be remiss if we didn't notice that bread, bread is significant for the people of God beginning in the Garden of Eden. And you think about that. Bread remains significant all the way through the Bible from the manna in the desert to the little town of Bethlehem to the breaking of the bread at the Last Supper with Jesus and even in Revelation in the future at the wedding feast of the Lamb. God goes on to say, for you are dust, literally fine dust, particles, and to dust you shall return. See, the Lord took the dust of the ground, and he formed it and he made a living being. And the living being disobeyed himself back into dust. This, however, is not the only curse that's present 
here in the story because God also curses the serpent, which represents who? Satan. The serpent is Satan. So God now casts a curse on Satan. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your lives. Now we know from Revelation that Satan was the most high angel who rebelled against God. He, like Adam and Eve, also forgot that he was the created, not the creator. You ever walk around and question God like you were there when he made it? No, maybe you don't do that. I'm sorry. Sometimes I do, and he's like, are you serious? And I was like, no, sorry, I was just kidding. See, Satan forgot who he was. He, he forgot he was a created, not a creator. And so for his rebellion, Satan was cast out of God's presence. We see that in Revelation. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now it's interesting to me, y'all, that the curse, God's curse upon Satan and humanity, this curse involves what we both eat. You ever think about that? The curse involves what we eat. People eat bread. But it's going to be really difficult to grow what's necessary. And you might be sitting to yourself, well, I don't grow the stuff for my bread. But tell me, how hard is your job? Are you just having the best time ever at work? Job's tough, isn't it? There's a reason it's tough. It's called the fall. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but it is now. It's tough. People eat bread, but it's going to be difficult to grow what's necessary. And Satan, what does Satan eat? He eats dust, which ironically is what people turn into when we die. See, Satan is fed by the dust of death. In other words, Satan is a death eater. Perhaps that's why some view Satan as the angel of death, because he's fed by death. You doing okay? Okay, good. Let me just recap where we've been here so I can take you someplace new. This is exciting. If you don't think it's exciting, you just get all geared up. It's going to be. You're just going to be pumped up with... Never mind. Just a quick recap. Humanity's curse, lifelong, often pointless work, and a reversal of the creation process. We die. Satan's curse, feed off our death. Now let's take a moment and allow the garden curse to resonate between our heads and our hearts, okay? Adam and Eve were the first humans. They didn't procreate until after the curse. Therefore, every human ever created is under that same curse, that curse of hard work, and then we die. And somewhere in there, we pay taxes too. Hard work, and then we die. That's part of our fallen genetic code, right? Of that, nobody can argue. Every human that has ever lived can see our curse, and none can argue with it. We all die. We all return to dust, right? Medicine tries desperately to stop the curse of death. It tries with all its might, but it can't. Cosmetology, it attempts to make death prettier in the casket, but to no avail. See, this is the curse all of us can see. But there's a very real curse that many people refuse to see. But everybody can feel it, and that's Satan's curse. See, most of the world doesn't believe in Satan. It just doesn't. 
The world doesn't believe in an unseen dark force that's slithering around the world. Slithering around, tempting people to kill and to destroy and to abuse one another. We see ignorance and error. We see addiction in every form. There is guilt and there is fear and there is sorrow and there is sickness and there is abuse and there is neglect and there is war and it's Satan. Slithering around, creating death circumstances so that he can gobble up death like a fat man in stretchy pants at a buffet. Mmm, death. The curse is real, and it's found everywhere. Can you imagine a world where only the curse is found? I can't. And thanks be to God, I don't have to. See, God is a just God. He has to punish sin. Otherwise, he would not be a holy God. But a holy God must also be merciful. Otherwise, he cannot be an everywhere present God. In other words, God cannot be God if he's not both just and merciful. <clears throat> and from the Garden of Eden, God connected the curse with the promise of a cure. From the Garden of Eden, God connected the curse with the promise of a cure. Salvation. The curse is part of the human condition, but y'all listen, so too is the first gospel. See, in Genesis, we have the first gospel. Did you know that? If we're not paying attention, we might miss the fact that Christianity is as old as the fall. It's subtle, and yet God blesses us with the joy of a cure right here in this passage, even as we face the curse. God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, y'all, I don't think we've given the joy of this cure its due because we haven't really noticed it before. We're not talking about a trip to Disney World and my new private jet because I just found a dollar on the sidewalk kind of joy. We're not talking about that kind of joy. See, that type of joy is based on circumstance, and it's fleeting, and it doesn't last. No, God graces us with real joy in this passage, the kind of joy that is so powerful it can travel far as the curse is found. Though there is a curse, God has also instituted a cure. Now, hang with me. The word translated as crush and strike in this passage is one word in the Hebrew. It's shoop. What distinguishes the word's meaning is how it's used in the sentence. So when used in reference to the heel, you know, the heel. Shoot means a piercing action of sharp teeth into soft tissue. <sighs> Bite the heel. Now I want you to think about this. How many times did Satan sink his teeth into Jesus throughout his ministry? In the desert for 40 days while he fasted, Satan sank his teeth. Every time a Pharisee or a Sadducee tried to trap Jesus, as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane's garden, sweating droplets of blood, when Jesus betrayed, or Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, Satan 
pierced him with his teeth. When the crown of thorns was placed on Jesus' head, or the nails pierced his hands, or when the sharp-toothed nail pierced through Jesus' feet, through the soft tissue of his heels. The serpent sank his teeth into Jesus often. And on Calvary's cross thought he had delivered the winning blow. Then a couple of days later, having let death firmly take a hold of Jesus' body, the serpent slithered towards the tomb, just a slithering there on the ground doing his, his death dust-eating thing. He's slithering to a hole in the ground because that's what a grave is, right? Jesus was in a hole in the ground. Snakes like holes in the ground, don't they? He was just slithering towards that, that grave ready to feast on the death dust of God's only son, slithering back and forth. You just keep that, keep that slithering there going in your mind as I open up the other part of this word, shoop. See, the second translation of soup is in relation to crushing a head. That's a downward pressing motion of an object. You know what I mean? It looks like this. It's a... It's a maybe you don't do a war cry when you stomp. But if, if, if you're prone to violence, and you, you like to... Never mind. I can see it now, though. Satan, he's, he's slithering through the garden, this time towards the boulder-covered hole where Jesus is buried. That crafty, arrogant serpent had clearly forgotten what was said to him so long ago in Eden. For on the other side of that two-ton stone stood one for whom the curse was broken because he and he alone had the power to break it. Assured by the pride that the dust of death was awaiting his stomach, the serpent slithered to a grave and then whack! Jesus rolled that 4,000-pound stone of resurrection onto Satan and he crushed his head right there. Jesus' heel may have been bitten in the process, but he crushed Satan's head with the resurrection. In that moment, creation went from curse to cure. And the blessing of salvation began its journey far as the curse is found. And there was joy that day. There was joy in the morning on that day, wasn't there? And that same joy, that same joy is still reverberating all throughout creation. And it's getting louder and louder the closer we get to Christ's return. You ever crush something with your foot? Perhaps it's a bug or something like that. Yeah, or a spider. Those things don't bother me. Yellow jackets, as we know, bother me. Right, when, when I stomp on a yellow jacket, again, I do that driving heel killing move, right? You know, just like that. But, but you know, when I stomp at once, guess what I got to do again? Right, because that first stomp, that first stomp disorients the yellow jacket, right? Knocks him down. He's probably dead, but I don't want him just to be dead, do I? No, no, no. I want that yellow jacket good and dead. So I bring my foot up and I drive it down again. And he's good and dead. The joy 
Brothers and sisters, the joy of Advent reminds us that Jesus has already come and already crushed Satan's head, and soon Jesus is going to return to finish the job. Right now, we live in a time of blessing and curse. But the day of no more curse and only cure, y'all, that's coming. That is coming. As the third verse of Joy to the World sings, He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, Jesus' blessing flows. For as the curse is found, Jesus' blessing flows. For as the curse is found, Jesus' blessing flows. So sing to the Lord a new song. Shout for joy before the Lord and King, because He has made the blessing of His salvation known far as the curse is found. And this is his word seriously considered this day for the Church of Christ community. All thanks and praise be to our God now and forever. Amen.